It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Tú conoces a tu auto mejor que nadie. ¿Y quién mejor que tú para echarle mano cuando lo necesita? ¿No tienes las herramientas? AutoZone te las presta. Se llama Loanatool y lo mejor de todo es gratis. Con Loanatool, AutoZone te presta una gran variedad de herramientas para trabajos de mofle, frenos, motor, aire acondicionado y mucho más. Cuenta con AutoZone para encontrar las herramientas que te hacen falta. En AutoZone te damos lo que necesitas. Restricciones y detalles en la tienda. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. He's so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, ma. Anything's possible. Rainy days. Jump shot, fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. Especially when the season get hectic. I stay waiting on it like receiving a Nets pick. Nothing like the terrible analysts on the TV. So in depth, you might even hear a story on Gigi. So in depth, they might do an hour about the D-League. So in depth, you probably should pay them, but it's a freebie. Yeah, John Corrales and J. King. Locked on, trying to get the 18th ring. So you can miss me with the blah, blah. No more Geno time. We watching Jay do the Zaza. Melis. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Locked On Celtics Podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Celtics coming off a very nice 115-104 win over the Utah Jazz to kick off the 2017 calendar year. We are back. Actually, we were supposed to be back last night. Jay and I recorded a show that got lost to the ether, but we're here tonight after this win. It's me and... Sam Jam Packard in the bowels of the garden with the bull gang behind him. So you might hear some of the uh, equipment going off and sirens and whatnot. But Sam, I, well, what was it like in the in the arena for this one? It was it was electric, especially towards the end of the game. It was uh, just very impressive to see what Isaiah Thomas could do uh, coming off of that fifty-two point game where he was. I guess, criticized for having uh, zero assists. And then John <laughs> Wall winning the, uh, winning the player of the month for December uh, due to his many double-doubles. It really felt like Isaiah was gunning for, uh, for some assists tonight. And the Celtics helped him out by draining an inc- absurd amount of three-point shots. So it was, it was a fun environment there. And the Celtics kind of took, pos- took control of the game in the third quarter. There's a little bit of a scare in the fourth, but uh, they kind of – Closed the coffin on the on the Jazz, so it was just a good win throughout. And it's one of the few performances I can remember this year for the Celtics where they played just a, an excellent game for for 48 minutes. So it was just a it was a good performance uh, by the Celtics, and it was, it was fun to be there in the building. Yeah, minus a couple of little scares. Uh, you know, the Celtics still have some trouble closing out quarters, which is very frustrating sometimes. But they they really put out at least the starters for the most part put together a very very nice game. Uh, Jay Crowder, what a game for him! He five of six from three. He shot. Uh, he had twenty one points on uh, that eighty three percent shooting from the field. His true shooting percentage is going to be off the charts here. Six of eight, and he scored twenty one points. Uh, 21 points for Al Horford, who for a while, I'm like, man, he looks like he's struggling with his shot. Next thing you know, you look up and he's shooting 56%. He's got 21 points. 
uh, 14 for Avery Bradley, including some huge shots in the fourth quarter. A couple of big three-pointers in the fourth quarter for him. And, of course, Isaiah Thomas, 29 points, 15 assists on 10 of 18 shooting, 5 of 8 from 3, 4-4 from the line from him. Only four free throws. Oh, I guess we got to criticize Isaiah for something. How'd you not get to the line? Urgh. Whatever. Awesome. I, I, I don't know how he did not win Player of the Month. Now, I, you can talk about double-doubles and, and whatever from John Wall, but that's ridiculous. What Isaiah did this month, this past month, just blew my mind. And that 52-point capper should have been cherry on top of the Sunday. I think he got screwed out of that award. I think it's mostly because he missed a, a couple of the games. It, it would be hard to argue. I can't really figure out the argument if he had played in every single game in December. Um, but like I said, it was, it was funny to kind of see his assist totals go up tonight. And I don't necessarily – I like. I would like love to believe that Isaiah is petty enough just to gun for assists because of that. <laughs> but I think a lot of it had to do with uh, kind of the Jazz defense and Rudy Gobert especially – I, there's, you could see earlier in the game that Isaiah was not going to be able to kind of attack the rim with the same kind of reckless abandon that he's known for. And so he adjusted and he did what a good player does and found his teammates. Um, he really did a good job of attracting uh, a lot of attention in the paint and then distributing it to the outside. Um, so as much as I'd like to think it was just a, a pettiness thing for Isaiah, he, he did what good, uh, good players do in all sports and kind of takes what the, what the defense gave him and then made the best decision uh, as a result of that. Yeah, and look, he averages somewhere around six assists a game. So 15 assists one night, zero assists the other night, boom. You're a little bit above the average, but you get the point. Some nights you're going to have big numbers. Some nights you're not going to have big numbers. That's why averages are averages. So people need to chill out on the nights like that. But that was just more people finding a reason just to troll and and whatever. But, I mean, Isaiah... Another great night. He had that move where he shook Shelvin Mack. Crossover. Just had him completely leaning one way. And then he uses his body phenomenally. He gets gets himself. He he initiates contact so often. And then uses that momentum to just bounce off the defender. And get himself some space. And he just finishes so nicely. Uh, and, and like you said. that One of Avery Bradley's threes came on that penetration where he just drew all of the defense. It's like Utah said, nope, you're not going to beat us, and flung it out to the corner for Amir. Amir swung it over to Bradley. Bradley drills the three with plenty of room. That that defense was so focused on uh, Isaiah that they just didn't have enough to get out. And this was their third game in four nights, Utah, uh, all on the road, so and they they played in Brooklyn last night. So Utah really did us a nice favor. Go out, beat the Nets the night before, come into Boston, run out of gas, lose to the Celtics tonight. It was perfect. I mean, all you got to do is now gift us uh, Gordon Hayward, and we're good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, this was the most the Celtic or the Jazz came into the game with the third best defense in the league, and then the Celtics ended up putting up the most amount of points uh, on them this season with one fifteen. It was a it was an impressive performance, but uh, I don't want to take anything away from what the Celtics did. But it was the Jazz did not look like the kind of top four team in the West as they've kind of been lauded. So it, I'm assuming they're kind of beat down. They also didn't have George Hill or Alex right. Burks, but 
I wasn't too impressed with just the general jazz effort tonight, other than uh, Iso Joe Johnson and Boris Diaw, two relics from the past, <laughs> coming to try and save this team. Uh, but Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors just weren't doing that much, uh, at least offense. Uh, I think the Jazz did um, decent, or not, I'm not going to even say they did decent defensively, but there wasn't as many glaring holes. But offensively, they just didn't do anything that really impressed me tonight. Um, so I guess that was disappointing from the fact that I wanted to see a, a closer game, but the Celtics just made them pay. And anytime you can go 17 or 13 from three, you're probably going to end up winning the ballgame. Uh, it was just an impressive shooting performance by the, basically the entire team tonight. Two things that will get lost in all of this, but I want to make sure do not. Uh, one, the rebounding. The Celtics only out-rebounded by, out by three. In fact, the Celtics had one more defensive rebound than the Jazz. Uh, they only held the Jazz to eight offensive rebounds and second-chance points. Celtics only outscored eight to three. So when you look at all of the things that have plagued the Celtics this year, this is a night – and, you know, obviously Utah is a, a big team. They, they really – I was afraid of them getting crushed on the boards. They did a fantastic job of controlling that. You don't have to win the battle, but Gobert did have 13 rebounds. He did have five offensive rebounds, but a couple of those were late in the game. It didn't matter, and it it didn't really hurt them. You don't have to be a great rebounding team. For the Celtics, you don't even have to out-rebound the opponent all you got to do is not get crushed on the boards. And tonight, they stayed close. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing, Amir Johnson had a low-key great game. You know, the numbers don't bear much out. Six points, five rebounds. He did have three blocks. And, but his defense throughout the night, especially in the second half, was really, really good. He did a lot of really good things out there. And many of those things don't show up in the box score. Where they do show up is the plus-minus, and he was third on the team, a plus-17 when he was out there. I think that is indicative of his play. Sometimes plus-minus doesn't really tell the whole story, but I think tonight for Amir Johnson, in all of the great shooting numbers that were put out there, Amir Johnson was kind of like the glue that kind of kept a lot of that together. He had some great defensive plays tonight. Yeah, after the game, um, Brad Stevens said he thought uh, Amir had – three or four of the best perimeter stops he's seen him ever, ever make. And it was really key when uh, the Jazz went to this kind of crazy wing lineup with his either um, Favors or Gobert in the middle, but then they had four out. And I think it was um, Hood, Mac, Hayward, and Joe Johnson, maybe uh, Joe Ingles there sometimes. But it was kind of challenging for the Celtics. Uh, they kind of um, Amir had to guard a lot of these wings on the perimeter, and he did a very good job. I can remember a specific t- uh, a couple times on Joe Johnson where he just Joe Johnson tried to do his ISO Joe herky jerky thing, and Amir uh, shut him down. And it was really big because this is kind of when the uh, Jazz were making their move to try and kind of make this a closer game, and the Celtics really clamped in. And it was I thought it was kind of surprising to see Amir Johnson in there um, as the kind of the, the center person of that defense, uh, but instead of Al Horford, who actually didn't play the last three minutes of the game. But I thought he uh, Amir did a great job in. Uh, it was one of the major reasons why the Celtics were able to kind of just stop that push from the Jazz. It was just him being able to have that quick feet and move out of the perimeter, which is not something you normally expect when you're talking about Amir Johnson. He's more of the kind of the, 
the interior guy, and you you know he's had trouble with his ankles throughout his entire career. But so it was it was good to see uh, Amir kind of put in that performance. And I thought the Celtics defense was pretty good the entire night, uh, especially um, not just Amir Johnson, but uh, just generally everyone on the team. They didn't create as many turnovers as you'd like to see, but I thought they did a good job of getting into the basketball and kind of forcing the Jazz into not the best shots, and it kind of bore itself out as they. Well, pretty much, except for the first quarter, they won every quarter. Oh, no, you can see it now. They tied it at 30. But it just felt like they were kind of beating the Jazz for, for 48 minutes. Yeah, they, they did a nice job. I, and look, the first quarter, Hayward went nuts in the first quarter. And so that's fine. He's going to go nuts. But they had that, and then they had a little bit of ISO Joe, like you said earlier, going on, a, on a, a bit of a spurt in the fourth. So aside from those two things that kind of kept things close in the first and the fourth, Celtics did a nice job pretty much throughout. Again, the end of the quarter, uh, a bit of an issue. <laughs> the end of the first quarter. Can we just, let's go back. I want to talk a little bit about the last 30 or 40 seconds of the first quarter, which we'll forget about a little bit as we look back in the game, but that was one of the most disgusting stretches of basketball I've ever seen where each team took turns trying to top the worst turnover that the other could make. Like the way they ended the first quarter was comically bad. It was uh, Kelly Olynyk throwing the ball out of bounds. Then the Jazz immediately throwing the ball out of bounds. Then Marcus Smart immediately throwing out the balls out of bounds. And then Raul Neto hitting a, a like a beating three. To, like a, a he banked that in. Yeah, Ugh. that was it. Was it was ugly? But it was, we can it was, laugh about it now. But uh, just one of those things that when it was happening, I'm like what what is going on here? Uh, so. Okay, nice night for the Celtics. Uh, again, Crowder, nice night. Uh, Horford, I want to talk about Horford. I don't know if you listened to his podcast with uh, Chris Mannix yeah. today. It was interesting. It was very interesting. A couple of interesting things. One was <laughs> asked flat out, are you a center? Nope. <laughs> Listed as a center, I guess, officially. I don't know, but are you a center? Nope. So that's that. He, he, he loves playing with Amir Johnson. Another thing, because Amir is a center, and Amir kind of tries to extend his career by moving further away from the basket. That's understandable. And then the other thing, twice in that interview, he mentioned Avery Bradley first when he was talking about teammates. And he specifically mentioned his rapport with Avery Bradley. And considering the season that Avery Bradley is having, a very good season, and I've said that I think Bradley, as along with his development, is definitely benefiting from the Al Horford effect. So really interesting to hear Horford talk about Bradley immediately before he even talked about Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, I um, I actually don't didn't even remember that, but it's interesting that you you bring that up. I feel like those two guys, in terms of personality, they seem kind of more quiet, uh, go about your business type uh, type people. So it makes sense that they're they're both uh, I guess getting along. 
I think Horford's doing making an impact on every single player. It's not just Bradley. I think I know me and you talked about this on Twitter. I think it was a couple nights ago, just talking about how Isaiah's improved efficiency, and it feels like that's got a lot to do with Al Horford. The center comment was really interesting to me because I was actually paying attention to that tonight, and I thought the Celtics. I mean, they got the win, but I thought they could have put Al center. Or I mean, Al Horford at center more often because. Uh, he was really able to draw when he was when there was a smaller four playing with him or shooting four. He was really able to draw um, Gobert out of the paint and uh, kind of they could do those pick and pops, which were just kind of were devastating. So I thought it was interesting that he. I mean, I understand why he prefers to play uh, power forward, but I thought kind of he was most effective, especially against teams with a with a good rim protector. He's most effective as kind of that that five who can really space the floor. Yeah, if you haven't heard this podcast, it's The Vertical with Chris Mannix. So when you're done listening to this show, go check out The Vertical with Chris Mannix. It's a nice little interview. It's about 35 minutes. It's Al Horford and Mannix talking about they start with, they go back to his days of the Dominican where where Al grew up and his mother pushing him to play baseball. We're not pushing, hoping he would play baseball. Obviously, Al's father was a basketball player, had a little bit of time in the NBA, and they just kind of go through his career from the Dominican to Florida to Atlanta to Boston. Interesting about what made him decide that he was going to leave Atlanta, his recruitment of Kevin Durant. Lots of good stuff there. So check that out, the, the vertical with Chris Mannix. Um, also, check out the Locked On Celtics pod, uh, Locked On Podcast Network. How about that? Let me get that right. You should be checking out the Lockdown Celtics podcast. That's us. The Lockdown Podcast Network. Uh, lots, of good, lots of good shows. Uh, I want to point out specifically the Lockdown Spurs. They got Craig, Sa- Craig Sager Jr. in his first interview about his late father. So uh, very touching stuff. Uh, they talk a lot about, obviously, the Greg Popovich relationship there. But uh, just... It's just, it's the first time that Craig Sager Jr. has opened up and talked about his father's passing and his relationship with Pop and, and a lot of that stuff. Some really interesting stuff. So please go check out my friend Jeff Garcia uh, on the Locked On Spurs podcast. Uh, it's a great show. Okay, back to the Celtics. Uh, I don't know. What else stood out to you for uh, Jam tonight? Uh Two major things that I noticed was the tonight the rotation was shortened to nine um, people. Normally we see Brad go kind of 11 deep or off the bench tonight. Uh, Tyler Zeller wasn't available, but uh, you had Olenek, Smart, Brown, and Drevko, and that was it. And I don't think the bench had its the best game in the world. They were all kind of uh, negatives in the plus minus. But I thought Jalen Brown uh, turned in a nice performance in some nice minutes. He scored 10 points uh, in only 13 minutes on the floor, but he definitely – had some nice moments, including a, a block, and then he kind of showed what he could do uh, in traffic and uh, in transition. So I thought his 10 points should not be overlooked because I thought it was one of the better Jalen Brown performances we've seen in a while. Yeah, that play, it was the block. And not only did he get the block, which was super athletic to recover and get that block, he took a second, he gave a little stare down, and then busted his ass up the other end of the floor. Isaiah, in one of his assists, kind of like, Took a second, chill. Oh, here you go. Boom. Nice finish. Lefty in traffic with the foul. Uh, that was a beautiful sequence. Yeah. Jalen Brown is 
again, up and down, we kind of expected this. It, it's nice to see him have uh, minutes like this, especially against a, a good defensive team, or an elite defensive team like the Utah Jazz. Uh, so nice to see, and, and hopefully he can build on this, get himself some confidence. The jumper, not still not great, but he hit a three. So not bad. A few rebounds and assists. So a nice night. A nice night overall for, for Jalen Brown. So, yes, absolutely he should get some mention uh, in that. So I got, I got two more things that I, I think are necessary to bring up. Quinn Snyder looks like a young Montgomery Burns. Your thoughts? <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, the, the Montgomery Burns – that um, yeah, the, yeah, with that hair when when he had, was young and had hair, and he was like uh, in the in the army, and they were carrying him, and he was like, "Oh, I'm just dead tired." When that's the the, the hellfish episode. Precisely, I was also thinking when he was uh, with his grandfather at the Adam factory, and he was uh, <laughs> scolding people for stealing Adams in their pockets. So that's what I, what I thought. Now, Chris Forsberg said he thought he looked like a. Uh, Shooter McGavin from the movie Celtic Pride, which is is an also a, another good pick, but a lot of good lookalikes uh, to here at the Garden. And then the more serious note, uh, if the Spurs hold on, which I imagine they will because they're beating the Raptors by, I think, 30 right now, the Celtics will uh, wake up tomorrow with only two and a half games back of the Raptors for the second seed. And they have the Sixers on Friday and the Hornets, I mean, not the Hornets, the Pelicans uh, on Saturday and the Raptors have to play this Jazz team, the Bulls, and the Rockets before they uh, they meet the Raptors and Celtics meet next Tuesday. So there's a good chance that that game could be for second place in the division. And with the Celtics winning, what is it, eight of their last nine, they're really on an upward trajectory. So there's really a lot of reasons to feel good if you're a Celtics fan when you wake up tomorrow. Yep, that's that's an excellent excellent point. I've said for the Celtics that this is a ten game month. So they've got, and it's a home-heavy month. I wouldn't be shocked if they won at least seven games. I could see them winning eight or nine. That I don't want to jinx it, but I can see them winning eight or nine. And this Utah win is a huge, huge step towards that. That it's a game that they really could have, they really could have lost. But the schedule, it was a nice. It was just it worked out very well for the Celtics. Okay, yeah, so. The Raptors at this point while we're recording are down, literally down 30 in the fourth quarter. Doubt that's going to be a comeback. So they they do play the – so it's Jazz at Chicago, Houston, then Boston. Yeah, it, it's very possible. It's very possible that the Celtics could be playing for the second seed on t- Tuesday, January 10th on NBA TV for those who aren't in the Boston viewing area. So, something to look forward to. But the Celtics have some business to take care of. They, they, hopefully they don't look past any of these games. They, they do have a favorable schedule. Man, I like, I like the way things are shaping up, though. And we're sitting here talking about trades they should make and things they should do and blah, blah, blah. Let them keep playing healthy and let it, let's see where it goes. Because I like where they're going while they're healthy. They, they're looking pretty good. So, 
Yeah, I have complete faith. Their offense right now is clicking, and we saw it the last year is kind of reversed there. They had a, a very good defense, and it took kind of Brad tinkering throughout the season to kind of improve the team on the on the offensive end. It feels like it's the opposite this year with the uh, – the offense is doing quite well, and now it's kind of up to Stevens to kind of tinker and figure out maybe what's what's his best option kind of in, to improve the defense. And maybe it's something like he did tonight is just shortening the rotation to just the players he kind of he trusts to, to make the right defensive decisions or have the, be able to communicate properly. But it, you have to have faith in, his, in what he's shown over the past couple of years that he's been the coach that that's going to improve. And so there's re, – like, again – there's no reason to change anything. If it's ain't nope. broke, don't fix it. Just what have we been going. saying? What have we been saying all along for the past couple of months? The first part of the season, the first part of the calendar year is Brad's experimentation time. It's tinkering with lineups. It's seeing what works, what doesn't. It's gathering data. It's getting that sample size. And then – after you have gathered all of that information and you've gotten a large enough sample size and you realize that the IT and D lineup is just hemorrhaging points and you just can't really go to that for extended minutes. And obviously now that you've got all your toys to play with, you've got things like Terry Rozier has fallen out of the rotation. That's just a product of how things work. A nine-man rotation has historically been ideal in the NBA. And now, here we are. The Celtics have gotten, in January, they've gotten down to a nine-man rotation. Things are starting to work out. Stevens knows what he's doing with the guys. He's figured out minutes, substitution patterns. And yeah, certain matchups are going to affect how he's going to maybe adjust. Maybe Jarebko gets more minutes. Maybe Jarebko gets no minutes. Maybe Zeller gets certain minutes sometimes, like he did in the Cleveland game during that big comeback. Weird things, but by and large, I think this team is starting to figure it out, and this is why we always preach patience. So, and again, a nice schedule. June can be a very nice month for Boston with everything coming together, the lineups coming together, the schedule coming together, rest, home games, practice, like, this is a nice going up into that all-star break. It's, it's, it's all – the formula is there. And let's just hope that uh, the Celtics can stay healthy and take advantage of it. Yeah, they, have, they definitely have the opportunity this month to, to put together some wins and to kind of compete with Toronto. So it's, it's just nice to see them shooting well tonight, and they have to move together, move, uh, keep playing good basketball and not kind of look past opponents like, uh, like they have coming up this weekend. As we saw uh, when they went to Philadelphia, we were both at that game. It was much closer than it should have been, and the, the Sixers weren't even playing with Joel Embiid. So it's, they do have some challenges, but it doesn't seem like this team's going to kind of overlook any team. So it, it's, everything's, everything's coming up Millhouse right now for the Celtics. <laughs> I love it. That's where I'm going to leave it. That'll do it for the Locked On Celtics podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for subscribing on wherever you get your podcast iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, the TuneIn app. We are there. We are everywhere. If you use some sort of service like I do, like Pocket Cast, go to our Audio Boom page, grab the RSS feed, plug it in, or just search for Locked On Celtics. You'll find us. Check out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network. 
Rate us all five stars. It really goes a long way in helping us spread the word, drive up some revenue, and all of that good stuff. Okay, Celtics, big winners tonight over the Utah Jazz, 115-104. to 104. Before we go, I'm going to leave you with a little bit of me on the radio in Bangor, Maine. Rich Kimball Show on the Pulse in Bangor. This has been the Locked On Celtics Podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Up next on Downtown, it's time to talk Celtics. We do it every week at this time as we check in with our friend John Corrales of RedsArmy.com and the Locked on Celtics podcast. Happy 2017 to you, John. Yes, Happy New Year to you and everybody who's listening. Uh, Still basking in the glow of what we saw the other night. That 52-point performance from Isaiah was, uh, well, it was one for the ages. Uh, He's okay. He's a pretty decent player, isn't he? He's not bad. can turn it on and at the end of a very long month a uh, very tough schedule in december on a back-to-back where everybody had just kind of faded isaiah thomas still in the fourth quarter comes up with a 29 a, a team record no one has ever scored 29 points in a quarter he does that drops 52 he's just uh, he's reached a new level he, he's better than even the most optimistic people thought he would be. And he's just, I, I don't know what to say. I can sit here and gush for our, this entire hit, but <laughs> I don't know how many, how many people really want to listen to that. He's just out of this world. And with that, there are still people out there, knuckleheads, I, I like to think of them as, who actually had the audacity to say, well, yeah, but he didn't have any assists. <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, you know, an anomaly because he, he had been averaging somewhere north of six assists a game. And so I think one game where people didn't finish off a couple of his passes and he looked to score more often than, than pass, that's, that's fine. I, I don't know how you can criticize 52 points in a win when you were the only guy who was hitting any shots and was playing with any energy. That's just. I guess, whatever. <laughs> Haters going to hate. People, there's always, it's the beauty of sports. Is somebody's always going to have a different opinion. We all watch the same events transpire. That somebody's going to have a different opinion of the same events. So, I guess we'll roll with it. Numbers uh, can be a little misleading at times, but this one's interesting to me that uh, as we hit the new year, this is the best record the Celtics have had going into a new year since back in 2010. Does that mean anything? I don't want to really say that it means much. It's it's nice that the Celtics have progressed to this point. Uh, the the rebuild has moved forward incrementally. I'm still not exactly sure how everything's going to unfold in the end. Whenever it is, the Celtics do claim contender status, but it's nice and it's better than the alternative. We'll put it that way. It, it, guys are starting to come together now. Brad Stevens has figured out his rotations. The team is healthy. They survived that December schedule and and did pretty well. And now they're heading into a January schedule with 10 games as opposed to 16 in December. So a lot more rest, a lot more practice time, a lot more home games. So 
It's a nice record to have heading into January, but I'm more focused on what January is going to bring and the potential for a really good record this month. Well, Marcus Smart, uh, Marcus Smart, Isaiah Thomas has certainly stepped up his game. Others could, Marcus being one of them. Uh, can we just tell him not to shoot any more threes, where I think he's only hitting at about a 29% rate right now? It's all about the types of threes that he hits. Now, I know he's been dealing with the stomach bug, so we'll see if he plays tonight against Utah. But I like Marcus Smart in the corner, catch and shoot. That actually, he's hitting that at above the league average. So I think his, his three-point shooting has taken hits uh, early in the season the way he was used, off the ball. Teams were sagging off of him, leaving him open from three, and he took a lot of threes. Now, in November, early in the season, before he switched to the backup point guard role, he was taking over six threes a game. In December, that dropped to about three threes a game. So that changed a lot. For some reason, Marcus Smart also gets the ball with less than five seconds on the shot clock or the game clock. He always seems to be the guy that's chucking up shots as mm. time is winding down. And good for him for not pulling that typical NBA stunt where you wait till the buzzer just sounds and then you heave it. <laughs> so he doesn't care about how that hurts his percentage. So that hurts too. I think now he's settled into more of a role where – yeah, he shouldn't take those above-the-break threes quite as much. But if he's in the corner and the catch-and-shoot, he's hitting those at a pretty good rate. That's the shot that he hit against the New York Knicks to seal that win. That's a shot that I'm comfortable with in the flow of the offense. So it's all about the types of shot, and I think now that he's in a more solid role as the backup primary ball handler for the second unit, we're going to see him take a few uh, less threes and the threes that he's taking are going to be the type that we'll start to see his percentage creep up by the end of the season. Talking Celtics with John Corrales here on Downtown. I love Jay Crowder, but what happens to him in the fourth quarter of games? Um, I don't know. I think he's – I don't know. I, there's no real explanation for that. I think that he's kind of buckling down on defense and maybe expending a lot of energy on that end. But I don't see any reason to go away from him in fourth quarters. He's shown in the past that he can perform in that situation. And it's to me, any sort of struggles that he's been having are more of an anomaly than anything. So it's not something that's concerned me. It's not even a thought that even kind of crossed my head. Terry Rozier has taken a lot of DNPs lately. Is he just, I don't know, suffering from a lack of confidence? Yeah, that's part of it. I think the way... It, I always say situation matters, and Terry Rozier's situation is now that he, he's not going to be what they thought he was going to be moving into the season. Remember, at the beginning of the season, that Ainge said he was going to be the primary backup point guard. So that's not happening. We've seen now, like I just said, Marcus Smart is much better in that role, and so Rozier's had to find a new role, and he hasn't shot well enough to play off of the ball, and when he plays – it changes how Marcus Smart is defended, and Brad Stevens has said that he wants the other team's point guard to guard Marcus Smart. And when Rozier's in the game, that doesn't happen. You've got bigger players guarding Marcus Smart, and that hurts Marcus. So right now, I think the, the rotation has just worked out as such that Smart gets more of the minutes, minutes that Rozier was probably going to get. And Rozier is too young, too inexperienced, and probably now suffering from a lack of confidence from all of this 
to kind of step in and earn those minutes and beat somebody else out. So we'll just have to see. Again, he's a second-year player. He's, he didn't get much time last year. He'll figure things out. I still think he's a part of the future somehow. But right now, he's going to be on the outside looking in for a little while if the team is fully healthy. Back at it tonight against the Jazz. They're playing good basketball. Pretty good young team, 22-13 and 13 overall. Last night, uh, Gordon Hayward, a big night, 30 points. It was only Brooklyn, but still. Uh, what do the Celtics have to do well tonight to get a win over Utah? Well, first of all, thank you, Utah, for that. Uh, this is going <laughs> to serve us well. I think Utah, they beat Brooklyn. They come in on the back-to-back. They don't have George Hill who is out uh, in the concussion protocol. So that's a big blow. But the Celtics are going to struggle, I think, with Utah. It's a bad matchup because they have those young, athletic bigs. They've got really big, athletic guys that are going to clog the rim and can recover a lot better than other teams can. So Isaiah Thomas could have a little bit of a tough time finishing at the rim. He's going to have to earn a lot of those points at the free throw line, which doesn't matter to him. But I think for the Celtics to be really effective tonight, the bigs have to keep or uh, Utah's bigs off the, off the boards. Gobert can't be putting back offensive rebounds and having put back dunks. They have to keep him off the boards, and they're going to have to really draw him out. So I don't know if the Celtics maybe go small. Maybe there's a lot more Olenek. Maybe if Olenek could come in and kind of get through his doldrums, maybe step up and hit a few shots and spread the floor that way. But, he and Al Horford are going to be really, really important. Amir Johnson's going to have a really tough time. He's going to have to get a lot of rebounds or at least box out and keep guys off the boards. Offensive rebounds could kill the Celtics tonight, but if they can hold their own there, then they'll, they'll at least have a better opportunity to neutralize those bigs and, and win this game. John, we love having you on to share your Celtics knowledge, but also appreciate the fact that you've been very vocal uh, out there in uh, going after people who, who seems to have made it their uh, lot in life to give a hard time to women uh, out, especially in social media. And I saw that you're, you're doing a piece for television in New York about that very issue. Can you talk a little about that? Sure, yeah. Um, so I do some production and reporting work at uh, the Fox 5 in New York City. And a story that I'm going to be shooting tomorrow is dealing with the harassment that women get as sports fans online, Facebook, Twitter, other social media, simply just by sharing the sports opinion. And look, I, I, I don't think that's fair. That I think people in general, you work all day, you, whatever your job is, maybe you go home, you're tired, you're frustrated, whatever, you just want to pour yourself a drink, turn on a Celtics game, and tweet or share on Facebook how much you think Isaiah Thomas is awesome, or maybe you think that Kelly Olynyk is terrible, or whatever you want to do, you want to tweet it. That's what we all do. That's our right. We want to relax and do that. I get to do it. You get to do it. But women don't in mm. general. Uh, and they don't all face it, but there there are many who tweet their opinions and get told, get back in the kitchen, which is, come on, that's horrible and much, much, much worse. Oh, yeah. I've been sent screenshots of much worse stuff, threatening stuff, and I just think that's terrible. That sports is our escape. Sports is the ultimate opportunity for all of us to get together and enjoy something as one big family. So to me, uh, men, women, adults, children, we should all get together and enjoy the game equally. And so I hope in this television story to 
talk to a few people and expose what's been going on. One of the people I'm talking to is going to be Al Horford's sister, Anna, who gets oh. a ton of abuse. She's great. So that's going to be that's going to be something that I'm really looking forward to. It's going to be a, a really good story. Excellent. Uh, will you put that up on the website so we can all see it? Absolutely. I'll be sharing it on social media myself, and, and we'll, we'll spread the word. Right. I just want everybody to, to act normally and treat each other with some love and respect. That, that seems like that ought to be the baseline, but a few people out there don't get it. It's unfortunate, but... We're trying. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate your work there, John. As always, great talking with you. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll see you again next Tuesday. All right, thanks. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.